0: I see how the good news of the gospel started spreading throughout the region, city to city to city, and it just grew, and it grew, and it grew. Now before I get started this morning, somebody reminded me, and I see them sitting up there in the... Ah, there you are, over there. Matt and Mandy Teeters are here, and we have a new attender visiting us today. It's good to see Matt back and on his feet after being horribly sick for a period of time, and Mandy and Matt are scrounging their new child. Oh, and look at that. He's going to come, hold him next to the balcony, not over the balcony. We don't want any controversies going on around here. Welcome. Now, since my phone is back there on that stand, I had no way to text anybody and get a name I, I knew it like a week ago. Isaac, nice. Well, welcome to Isaac. Uh, congratulations, you guys. Um, it's good to have you here with us. Well, let's uh, let's continue in the book of Acts this morning. You know, what I've noticed in the book of Acts so far is time after time after time after time. We, we see and we hear uh, maybe a little different detail here and there. But the disciples are constantly talking about the fact that, that, that Jesus Christ was crucified and he rose again. And this is where true life comes from. It's not from the law. It's not from being obedient to all of these things that, that we have been trying to do for years and years and years, which really um, had more of a focus on showing us that we couldn't measure up and we couldn't accomplish on our own than anything else. Yet it's Jesus Christ. And that is the mo- that's the greatest, most powerful news and, and name we could ever know. The name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because, because it's, it's that news That when we believe it, changes our life forever. Never to be the same again. Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, taught... Uh, and led the disciples in preparation for his leaving. He was unjustly crucified, of course, but this was how it had to happen. God had this all worked out. Uh, he was buried, and then he rose again, conquering sin and death. And you may think, David, I've heard that over and over and over and over again. You know what? We need to hear it over and over and over again until we get it. Until we truly understand it, and, and, we, and we live it, and, and we proclaim it to everyone that we know. Jesus appeared to hundreds of people. There were hundreds and hundreds of people that saw him alive. He was dead, he was buried, and now he's alive and people have seen him. They they testify to this. And then just before he ascended into heaven, he proclaimed to the disciples that the Holy Spirit was going to be given them, that they were to go to Jerusalem and wait, the Holy Spirit would come, fill them and empower them, and, and then the rest is really history. At that point, they, I, the disciples had no idea what was going to happen and how it was going to happen. And, and, and when they caught the wave of the Holy Spirit, they were, they were along for the, the ride. And the Holy Spirit came and still comes today to each and every one who believe, who surrender their life to Jesus Christ as Savior. When we confess with our mouths and we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord God creator of all things crucified and overcoming sin and death is living again and and this God in the Holy Spirit is living in each and every one of us who have surrendered our life to Jesus Christ. And that changes everything. And, and if, if, if you have professed faith in Christ and your life is still the same today as it was last week or last month or last year or 20 years ago, then you need to, to take a step back and say, did I really surrender my life to Jesus Christ? Is this a real thing? Jesus, it all boils down to him. Our justification, our salvation, our sanctification. And it's not just knowing about Him that that He existed and that that He walked the earth. It's putting our complete and total faith and trust in Him. It's not believing that that is a chair and that chair would hold me up if I were to sit in it. It's actually trusting the chair and sitting in it. The full weight of my life surrendered to Jesus Christ as my Savior. Repenting of my attempt and subsequent inability to save myself and trusting him with our lives. Oh, how sweet the name of Jesus is. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. I mean, I was writing the sermon and hymns are just coming. They're just, the, the truth that, that are in them. Jesus, what a savior. And then the transformation begins. Praise God, we're never the same, Amen. He, he begins to mold us and shape us and change us. Sometimes it takes breaking us down. Sometimes it, th- it takes putting things in our life that, that will cause us to trust him completely. Sometimes it's a gentle whisper. Who knows? Who knows what we need? And, we'll, and, and, and he knows what we need. And he will never, ever make a mistake. Ever. We can trust him completely in all things. In all things, now Satan would like us to to think otherwise, that that God may be screwed up by allowing this certain thing to happen in our life, but we can know that 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 never happens. That never happens. He will never make a mistake as he leads us on our transformation journey. Now, besides eternal life with our Creator in a place so good and peaceful we can't even imagine in our current life what that's like, That's an amazing thing. There, there are other effects of our faith in Christ and his transformational work. And I want to look at two of them this morning. Two areas that our minds and our hearts are renewed, that our minds and our hearts are transformed. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which he promised, he loosens our hold on to things and he tightens our grip on relationships with him. And with others. And as we start out this morning, turn with me to chapter 4. I want to grab the last end of chapter 4, beginning in verse 32, Acts chapter 4. It's page 1081, I think, in the Bibles underneath the seats. 1081, beginning in verse 32 of chapter 4. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. In them all, that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it to the apostle, at the apostle's feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. You see, in the Holy Spirit, we are stronger when we are together. I mean that should really go without saying, right? But for whatever reason we have the most difficult time grasping it and living our life that way. Even in our marriages we struggle with this. The relationships with our families, we we somehow get swayed from the fact that we're stronger when we're together. We're stronger when we're together. When we understand and experience the incredible grace and mercy and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, that begins to flow out of us into those around us. It says there that they were one in heart and mind. They were one in heart and mind. You see, the value of human life of the people around them was increased. They understood the sacrifice that Jesus made on behalf of all human beings, of all those who were created in the image of God. And as they faced Um, adversity in the proclamation of their message, Jesus Christ resurrected, they grew stronger and stronger as a community. As a team, they grew stronger and stronger. As they met opposition, they prayed. They supported one another. They forged ahead with their mission. And that's the church today. That is our mission today. Bible study, fellowship, breaking of bread together, and prayer. Based on those four um, pylons, we're on mission together. And, and, and our, uh, we are more successful in our mission together when we are in, uh, with one heart and one mind, just as they were. All things you see in their lives orbited around this newfound relationship with Jesus Christ, the resurrected Messiah. And ours can too, as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, as he illuminates our daily paths, the the decisions that we make on a daily basis. And some of those decisions are concerning on how much time we spend with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, how we treat each other, the support we lend to one another, to our neighbors. And as we grow, we then see others greater than ourselves. Because you see, when we're number one in our own eyes, everyone else becomes number two and beyond. And then everything becomes about us. But, but as we are living in a relationship with Jesus Christ, with, filled with the Holy Spirit, we think differently. We treat people differently. Even those we don't know. Mechanics, waitresses, teachers, Airline ticket agents, one of the hardest people in our world to love. We treat them differently. Why? Because we know that that they were created in the image of God and that Jesus Christ loves them no more and no less than he does me. No matter who they are, no matter what they think, no matter what their priorities are in life, We see others greater than ourselves. We are stronger together and our hold onto relationships is tightened. Our priorities become more about people and less about things. That is so difficult in our culture. Our culture lives and thrives and survives on things and the sale of them. The success of our country as a nation is if our economy this is how it 's judged is if our economy is churning and rolling along, and the only way that can happen is if everybody has lots of money and they 're spending it all i heard I heard a news report the other day that that they were talking about um, how and i don 't remember the exact figures but but they were they were fairly high, which kind of surprised me but like like eighty percent of of the available money in our nation is is like tied up it's like set aside and they were worried about this and i'm thinking i was always taught that saving money was a good thing i mean that's where i wrestle and struggle with that's a great thing but what they're thinking is our our world our materialistic society can't just keep turning and chugging along unless people are spending 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 which puts the focus on us and our things and too often our relationships take a back seat to that and um but if we, if we are living in the Spirit, as, as the disciples were, then we are stronger together and we hold on to relationships harder than we hold on to things. Life becomes more about people and less about prestige or notoriety or power. That's what happens when a a community surrenders their lives to Jesus Christ and they are one in heart and one in mind as they move forward, accomplishing along the way the mission that God has given them. And I wonder where you are today. I wonder where your priorities in life are. Have you, first of all, have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Maybe that's your first step. Have you put your trust in Jesus as Savior? Have you become a a part of the team, so to speak? You know, as we experience the incredible grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, our hold on relationships tightens, number two, our hold on things is loosened. Our priorities are reordered, and you got to know this doesn't happen from our own sheer discipline and desire to do this, because our human, selfish, sinful nature will fight us on this. And even though there are people who you know and who I know who aren't Christ followers, but they're the most generous people that we know, there's an emptiness in that. And not only that, but they're... they're there seems to, though you might not see it on the outside, always be some sort of ulterior motive in their generosity. There's news organizations that are taking pictures and writing reports about this big donation that this philanthropist just made. Well, there then is their reward, right? That's, that's biblical right there. Um, or maybe a tax write-off, self-promotion... Things like that, but as we are transformed by the Holy Spirit, we become more and more willing to sacrifice for others. I mean, I, I understand these are just simple things, and they're things that you know. But but they're a part of our passage today, and are our great reminders. You know, as we hold on to things less and less, and become more willing to sacrifice for others, we sacrifice for others because it's just what we do. Sometimes it's not even it's not even a conscious thing. That's just, we're just looking. On a daily basis for opportunities to sacrifice and help other people with the things that we have. We will willingly give things away. We will willingly loan things out. Mi es su casa, as some would say. Come, stay with us. Hey, can I borrow your truck? Absolutely. Here's the keys. Wait, what? And it will become more and more how we operate on a daily basis. And as we do, as we do, we become more unified, more of one heart, more of mind, one mind. And I believe that as a church community, we begin to gain uh, speed, momentum is the word I was looking for. We begin to gain momentum. And that's what's happening in the early church. The Holy Spirit is just... I mean, this, this ball is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and he's pushing it, and it's rolling. And people are, are seeing the truth. Their, their lives are being changed by the truth. Something else that will happen is that things will take their proper place. I think all of us have put things over people in our lives at some point. And we would so focused on this thing. But as we are transformed, I think this happens less and less. And it becomes easier and easier for us to not hold so tight onto our things. Now, some would say, well, you just don't own very big, good things. Then you're not willing to let them go, right? Mm. Our desire for an emphasis on stuff will fade as we become more and more in tune to the Spirit in how we live our life every day. Do we still need things? <laughs> yep, we do. I mean, we still have to work. We still have to earn a paycheck and provide for our families and, and these sorts of things. But, but, but it's not a case of us stepping on and over whoever we need to to get them, right? People will more and more take precedent over things. But even in the time of the early church, Satan was doing his best to destroy what he could. I mean, he doesn't want them to succeed. He doesn't want this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his resurrection to explode all over the world and for all of these people to be saved. And he tries to expose, I was talking with somebody this week, um, and and it's like a, it's it's, it's like Satan is preparing for a football game. And, you know, if a, a team is preparing to play another team, they watch the film, they see what their tendencies are, they see what they're, and they try to expose their weaknesses with certain plays and stuff. That's what Satan does. He tries to expose our weaknesses, and we need to recognize that that's what he does. Because if he can't destroy the church from without... He seeks to destroy the church from within. And we've got to guard our hearts against that. We've got to, guard, we got to, we got to have each other's backs as, as we go through this. And of course, Satan isn't just going to sit around and let us hold tightly to people and loosely to things without opposition. He hopes to persuade us to say one thing and do another. We talked about this briefly last week. I want to talk about it briefly this week. He tempts us to be hypocritical in our lives, to say one thing and not do another. Because I think that is one of the most uh, common ways in which the, the gospel of Jesus Christ can be discredited is when there's somebody who says that they follow him and then they do completely the opposite. They say one thing and do another. Now, again, I... We all make mistakes, and I think honestly in many ways we're all, hypocr- we're all hypocritical at some point in time in our life, but, but to be a hypocrite is to consistently and knowingly live that way day after day after day after day after day and never repent of it, never seek to overcome it. Now, hypocrisy is a very destructive force within the community of God's people. John Stott says this about Ananias and Sapphira, which is, which is the main passage for us for today, although we're not going to spend very much time there because it's really kind of a bummer passage. Um, John Stott says this. He says that, that, that Ananias and Sapphira were not so much misers as they were thieves. They wanted the credit and the prestige for sacrificial generosity without the inconvenience of it. So in order to gain a reputation to which they had no right, they told a brazen lie, and their motive in giving was not to relieve the poor, but to fatten their own ego. It was all about them and not about other people. Which is not what happens with someone who's walking with the Spirit, because we don't think that way. Our priorities aren't ordered that way. It's not us before them, it's them first. And then we do whatever we can to help out. Let's read the account. Um, Let's start in chapter 5, verse 1. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira... Also, and, and this is in comparison to what Barnabas did, Barnabas sold a piece of land, and he brought what, uh, what money he got from that sale, and he laid it down at the disciples' feet, and they used that to, to care for people. Um, they also sold a piece of property, and with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet, And the assumption here, and as we see later, is that they're kind of letting everybody know that they sold this piece of property and they've brought everything that they got for it and they've laid it down at the disciples' feet, just like Barnabas did. Then Peter says this, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold? Wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. It would... Seize me as well. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in. Now knowing, not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said. That is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Wow. Seems a little harsh, doesn't it? I mean, death? People in our culture say, well, that was just a little white lie. I mean, I really needed to tell you this. I needed to really tell it to you that way to protect you. I mean, I have thoughts about why God wanted to communicate to the early church and why the judgment was so harsh on Ananias and Sapphira, but they're really speculation because we're not really told this is why this occurred. This is why God did this this way. All we know is that he did it. And we know that we can trust him completely. So the purpose for whatever it was and why ever he did it was served. And news spread of this incident incident like wildfire. Now there's another incident in the Old Testament where lying and misrepresentation um, had grave effects on the community as well. I mean, you, you all are sitting here this morning and you have a modern day example of this very thing. Maybe... It's not not a case of the person dying, but of the disastrous effects that have occurred to them and their family and all those around them. Uh, F.F. Bruce writes this. He says, The story of Ananias is to the book of Acts what the story of Achan is to the book of Joshua, if you know anything about the story of Achan. In both narratives, an act of deceit interrupts the victorious progress of God's people. Do you you remember Achan? Um, After the victory... Of the Israelites at the Battle of Jericho, Joshua is ordered that all of the goods and all of the wealth in, in that city uh, were to be devoted to the Lord. Where have we heard the word devoted before? They were to be devoted to the Lord. They're to become the devoted things. The people were to keep nothing for themselves, none of it, take it all to the treasury, the temple treasury. The city of Jericho and its wealth was to be offered as the first fruits to the Lord. It was as if there, it was the tithe offered from the land of Canaan to the Lord. And in Joshua 7.1 it says this, But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan. Interesting. The Israelites, and then it says there's one man, Achan, the son of Carmi, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. And as a result of his crime, one man's crime, the next battle Israel marched into, they lost. They lost. It didn't just affect him. It didn't just affect his family. It affected the whole nation. And as a result of that, he, he tried to hide it. He tried to hide it. He tried to hide it. And eventually, he has to confess. And he and his entire family are stoned. They're put to death because of this sin. Sin. Now, these two incidents are a great reminder to us that sin is a big deal to God. It's a big deal. Satan wants wants us to minimize it. Satan wants to think it's not that big a deal. It's not going to hurt anybody else. I'm only gaining something, and God's going to forgive me for this thing that I'm doing later anyway. No, we are not to take... God cannot be mocked in that way. Disobeying God has grave effects for us and those around us, and we must remember that. And it's an amazing an amazing and act of grace and mercy that we all haven't been struck dead in the first place, isn't it? I mean, as I think about this passage, and, I, and I've thought about it, and I read sermons, and, and I listened to sermons over the course of the last week or two, um, one of the sermons that I saw talked about how this passage was... Just an amazing proclamation of God's grace. And I thought, how? They died. How do you get that? But then I think about my own situation. And, and I think about my own place in the world. And I think about the things that, that I have done wrong and the, the the terrible decisions that I have made. And the fact that I'm still breathing and living life blessed by God. What a gift. What amazing, grace, gracious, and merciful God we have. He is full of love and mercy. We can't be easily convinced that sin's not a big deal because it is. Now, for Christians today, this sin of Ananias and Sapphira is... St- is still a temptation um, to so, as one author put it, luxuriate in the love and grace of God that we do not take seriously the consequences of our deliberate sinning. But God will not be mocked. Just as there can be the constant temptation to disobey God and make wrong decisions, however... There is the same possibility and potential for us to do good. For us to do what's right. For us to live in that way, to make good decisions. In fact, we are free to do so because, and this is the third point in your notes this morning, there is great freedom found in Jesus Christ. There is a freedom in our faith and relationship with Jesus that, can be, that can't be found in any other religion or any other relationship. It doesn't exist only in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do we truly have freedom? And just as we see the people in Acts letting go of their things and clinging to Jesus and to one another, we too can live this way. By letting freedom reign... By letting freedom reign. Luke stresses this freedom in Acts. Ananias sold the field and in a, similar, in, in a similar fashion as Barnabas did. And he brought the money to the apostles' feet. But he lies about how much it is. Peter imagines that this might be the way you would act if there were some sort of external constraint on you. Like you had to do this. Like taxes. You have to pay your taxes. And what do we, do we do? We hire people to figure out how we don't have to pay them. Legally, of course. All of that is just to find the loophole or the whatever so that we don't have to pay it. So so Luke is, or, or, or the apostles, I think, are kind of confused here. They're like Ananias and Sapphira. We, we have all of this freedom. You, this was your property. You owned it. You could do with it whatever you wanted to. And you could have sold it. In fact, he could have kept part of it and brought the rest and laid it at the apostles' feet if he'd been honest about it. There wasn't some sort of requirement that, that, that they give all of this. It's just what the people were doing to help everyone around them as they were unified in one heart and one mind. John Piper summarizes it this way. Let me tell you what he said. What Luke is describing for us here in this account is the radically freeing effect of true faith in Christ. Christianity is not a matter of external conformity to religious expectations. It is a matter of internal liberty. It's something I want to do. It's not a matter of force and law. It's a matter of freedom and love. Being a Christian means being changed from the inside out so that you fall in love with people and you fall out of love with things. John 8, uh, 31 and 32 says this, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. There's freedom in knowing the truth. Sometimes ignorance is bliss, people say, but no, no. There is freedom in knowing the truth and believing the truth. Galatians 5:13. Uh, maybe you could turn there. It's going to be up here on the screen, but turn to Galatians chapter five, verse 13, uh, says this: "You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. You see, we, we then have liberty and freedom to serve. I, I, we serve people just because we want to, not because we have to. When you write the check for your taxes, ah, how fun is that? When do you mail it? April 15th, right? That's when I do. I hate writing that check. But it's my responsibility to. And it's my responsibility and the right thing to report everything honestly. Yeah, I struggle with that. Do you? But we have the freedom to do that. We have the freedom to to give to a neighbor. We have the freedom to stop and help somebody on the side of the road. My wife and I, we were headed to Boulder a couple Saturdays ago, and um, up, up ahead I could see a guy walking. He was carrying something. I wasn't sure what he was carrying. And I looked at my wife, and then I looked, and, and he was walking away from a vehicle, so I know he broke down. And I'm thinking, okay, he's not just a hitchhiker. He had trouble. So I look at Sarah, and I say, what do you think? She goes, yeah, let's do. So we pull over, and we stop, and we pick up this guy, and he's carrying a guitar, He's a musician, a traveling musician. And uh, he said he had been in Laramie and Sheridan and Montana the week before, and he was headed home to be with his family in in Colorado Springs. Um, <laughs> his mother plays the piano in a Baptist church, has her whole life, just retired. I'm, seriously, I mean, we're having this really long conversation. Um, but But can you see how that just sort of works into it? Hey, so who, you know... Y- we got to faith we we got to we got i mean it just and i don't know if i i don't think i stopped and said oh good here's a guy that i can witness to it just happened it it just became a part of the conversation and it can be that way for all of us but but we're to use this freedom not to indulge the flesh but to serve one another so freedom to serve for and he goes on in galatians chapter 5 if you turn there Uh, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. we got to resist the temptation to attack each other. Especially true in your marriage, if you're married, but also within our community. And, And Paul goes on to explain what happens. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. From the inside out, that's what Satan seeks to do. So I say, Paul says, walk by the spirit who has been given to us and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want Uh, this is a story told by someone I'll just tell it in the first person recently my wife and I went fly fishing for the first time I'm not sure my wife has ever been fly fishing but our guides told us that to catch a fish, you have to think like a fish. They said, have you ever used this, Jeff? You, you might want to use this when you're taking guys out fishing. Um, to catch a fish, you have to think like a fish. They said that to a fish, life is about the maximum gratification of appetite at the minimum expenditure of energy. To a fish, life is see a fly, want a fly, eat a fly. A rainbow trout never really reflects on where his life is headed. A girl carp rarely says to a boy carp, I don't feel you're as committed to our relationship as I am. I wonder, do you love me um, for me or just for my body? The fish are just a collection of appetites. A fish is a stomach, a mouth, and a pair of eyes. And good to eat. While we were on the water, I was struck by how dumb the fish are. Hey, swallow this. It's not the real thing. It's just a lure. You'll think it will feed you, but it won't. It'll trap you. If you were to look closely, fish, you would see the hook. You'd know once you were hooked that it's just a matter of time before the enemy reels you in. You'd think fish would wise up and notice the hook or see the line. You'd think fish would look around at their fish friends who go for a lure and fly off into space and never return. But they don't. It is ironic. We say fish swim together in a school, but they never learn. Aren't you glad we're smarter? Aren't you glad we never get taken in, hook, line, and sinker? You see, acting these ways isn't a, free, isn't a freedom that gives liberty in life. You know, it leads us into bondage. Sin will take us farther than we ever wanted to go and it will hold us there longer than we ever intended to stay. We've got to get that in our heads. We have to get that in our heads. And we need to avoid at all costs. So in order to do that, we live in sync with the Spirit. And we're given freedom to experience the fruit of the Spirit. It it goes on in Galatians chapter 5. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, Paul says, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will be destroyed. But the fruit of the Spirit, and I want you to understand this, it's not the fruit of David who's living a really good life and being self-righteous. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's David living in sync with the Spirit on a daily basis and this fruit being produced not by me, but by the Holy Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit... Paul says, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those, he, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We've turned, we've repented. Yes, there are times when we turn back and we repent again and we turn again. But, but as we live daily in sync with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, these things begin to flow out of your life and mind. And we do them not because we have to, because we get joy in doing them. We get joy in serving people. We, we, we're, we're, we're happy to sacrifice some things for someone else. Could you imagine, moms and dads, if your children lived by verses 22 and 23 in regards to you and your household can you imagine number one how enjoyable your children would be and how fun life would be and kids if you could just understand how little trouble you would have in life if you just lived this way it's the same way in the kingdom of God we want what we want because we want it we've been deceived to think that God doesn't want what's best for us and it leads to this list up here. But, but if we live in sync with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, surrendering our life to him, walking with him, saying, calling out to him as we begin our day, Lord um, Jesus, Holy Spirit, fill my life today. Help me to serve you today. Help me to think and see people with your eyes today, not with my own selfish eyes. Freedom to experience the fruit of the Spirit. And the last point in your notes this morning is freedom to walk and step with the Holy Spirit, and it's verse 25 and 26. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. You know, that's what keeps us sharp. That's what keeps us pointed on mission, proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel, serving others, holding more tightly to the relationships that we have with with our Savior and with one another, and, and allowing God, in some cases maybe, to pry our, our, our fingers, our cold dead fingers off of whatever it is that we are trying to hold on to, where we give that away, we let it go. We value people over things and we find that when we live that way, we experience the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Oh, and so, there, there's so many things to think about and and, and consider, and, and God, I'm just grateful for your love for me. And I thank you for the salvation that I have in Christ. And I thank you for the transformation that you continue to do this day on my life. Father, help me continue to let go and let loose of things and to hold more tightly to you and and to those relationships of people, people in my, my immediate family, people in my church family, people in the universal church worldwide. Father, may I be willing to pour out all for you and know that that is so freeing and it's, it's, it, it just lets freedom reign in my life. And for each one of us, Father, I pray that we could get in sync with the Spirit this week. And that the fruit of the Spirit would, that our lives would begin to produce that fruit that only the Spirit can create and cause in our life. And now, Lord, as we close this service, I want to sing this final song in worship to you, in proclamation of the truth of it. In Jesus' name, amen.